Well, hello again. Hope everyone that uh, went out this week all were able to uh, get a buck or two. And uh, I had a couple bucks myself, but the Coke I bought cost me $1.50. I got away with that one other time. This, this may have been the limit on that. She's like, you shouldn't have tried it the first time. But uh, welcome back to part four in uh, this Roman through Roman series. Can everybody hear me okay? This morning we're going to be talking about Abraham. We're going to start with a little bit of a word study. You know this term we hear sometimes, working man, this expression? What do you think of when you hear the expression Working man. First, before I get any further, let's dismiss our little ones to children's church through fifth grade. They're all doing this like I'm going to lose my head if I don't let them go. Okay, much better. This term working man, what do you think of when you hear it? If you had to play a, you know, a word association game of sorts, if I, if I say that, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of your younger days. Maybe you think of your father or maybe a grandfather, maybe back in the prime of their lives. Here's some pictures. Culturally, when we hear this term, this expression, working man, uh, maybe we think of uh, scenarios such as these. Maybe we think of difficult, long working conditions, 16-hour days, or a factory grind, or a labor union. Maybe things like these uh, come to mind. Over the years, there have been uh, plenty of songs written about the working man. Lyrics of popular music often will try to capture the philosophy, maybe some of the struggles of the, quote, working man. Bruce Springsteen wrote a song about his father called Factory. Who, uh, his father had suffered hearing loss at a factory job. My friend uh, Steve, who preaches over at the McBride Church, has a favorite group called Rush in 1974 who sang the following lyrics. I get up at 7, yeah, and I go to work at 9. I got no time for living. Yes, I'm working all the time. It seems to me I could live my life a lot better than I think I am. I guess that's why they call me. They call me the working man. Name of the song is Working Man. But perhaps an example that maybe would more quickly come to mind from uh, popular music originates with the so-called poet of the common man, music legend Merle Haggard. Who's familiar with Merle Haggard? Show of hands. 1969, Merle Haggard went to the top of the country charts with a song called Working Man Blues. The lyrics didn't uh, bemoan, but celebrated the daily effort of working America, and they included these. I'll be working long as my two hands are fit to use. I drink a little, excuse me, beer in a tavern. That had to be in there, you know that. Sing a little bit of these working man blues. So this is a familiar feeling to us, a familiar philosophy to us in our songs. To some, this working man blues is considered to be the ultimate blue-collar anthem in country music. So there have been many, many examples, songs over the years. There was a 1933 film entitled The Working Man. But where did this phrase originate? Uh, I tried to do some digging this week. I was kind of surprised at how uh, short the internet came up for me. 
Webster actually defines this as a single word, working man, quote, a person who works for wages, usually at manual labor. The Working Men's Party was the name of the first labor-oriented political organization in the U.S., I found out this week. It was established in Philly in 1828, and so over the next hundred years or so, the popularity of the term grew. But regardless, we often think of someone, when we hear this phrase, someone uh, dedicated, right? Dedicated worker, someone with their nose to the grindstone. We probably name a few individuals we've known over the years who are truly working people. We usually think highly of these laborers, don't we? And believe it or not, God's Word says that in Christ, we're all called to be working men and women of a spiritual nature. We're all called to be uh, this. Romans chapter 4, where we've progressed this morning in our Roman through Romans sermon series, moves forward. It does this by taking a look back to one working man in particular, God's laborer, Abraham. If you've got your Bibles open or you can look to the screen behind me, we're going to jump right into the beginning of chapter 4 of Romans. And Paul reminds the church at Rome what working for the Lord looks like. Paul says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And Paul will go on to say in verse 9, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Let's stop there for just a moment. And in last week's message, we talked through this idea, if you remember, that no one, no matter who we are, no matter how long we've been uh, coming to church worship, what we may have done or not done for God, no one can be good enough for God on our own. Remember, that was the name and the theme of last week. Nobody's good enough. And this was the whole point of Paul's chapter 3 to the Romans. Now, as chapter 4 begins, Paul, the evangelist that he is, gives an illustration of this point, and this is where we are this morning. Nobody's labor for the Lord saves them, including Father Abraham's. And you want to talk about some working man for God. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, if you remember, got that on the screen behind me. What did God tell Abraham to do? Where did it all begin? He tells Abraham to pack up, leave his country, he says, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, who are you? Verse 2 goes on to say, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Well, Abraham goes to work. He goes to work. He gets busy. And Genesis 12, 4 says, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, hang on to that, 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now one would certainly think that considering this text from Genesis, Abraham's hard work 
diligently following God's orders earns him his reward, right? Look at the way uh, the text even shifts here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. God seems to be saying in here, Abraham, if you do this, I will give you this. Uh, Rabbis would even later teach a sort of merit system within Judaism. But the Bible tells us that Abraham in no way, shape, or form earns the distinction of being the father of the great nation God promises him. And so Paul quotes this Genesis account himself in verse 3. In Genesis 15, 6 to be exact is what he's quoting. To drive home this point, illustrating from last week, that it wasn't Abraham's labor that counted him as God's faithful. It was Abraham's faith in God himself that made the difference in his life. Again, Genesis 15, 6, first saying, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Sounds contrary, right, to to what we're saying this morning. And for those of us who ever punched a time clock, it may be difficult to understand this point. Abraham himself surely came from a world in which what you received was what you earned. When God summoned him for service, Abraham, think about it, he's likely sitting back and drawing on the equivalent of a Mesopotamian pension plan, right? He's 75 years old. 75. God tells him to up and leave all that he knows. And the community where he was living, where he was comfortable. Do you think that Abraham, at this point in his life, had future service or retirement on his mind? It's so easy for us to uh, think today as Christians, and even our text says in retrospect, the godliness of Abraham. We think about that as we look back at the man. God gave him quite a legacy, right? But it's important to remember that Abraham brought nothing holy to his calling. Nothing at all. When he leaves the Chaldeans, the land of the Chaldeans, Genesis 15, 7, you are Ur. Abraham is leaving a life of idolatry, a life of pagan religion. Uh, Worship of a moon god was uh, the local tradition. All that Abraham could possibly gain was to be tied not to what he could do for God, but believing what God could do for and through Abraham. And so when Paul uh, references Genesis 15, 6 here in verse 3, he's not negating Abraham the working man, but Paul is once again illustrating that God's work makes God's people. God's work makes all the difference. I think sometimes in the church we, we get this backwards. I think sometimes in the church we think, I don't have to serve God anymore in that particular ministry or or any ministry anymore. I've done my time. We tend to think as as though some time that we spent serving ever counted for anything. Ultimately, I have to be honest, it it sometimes saddens me to hear of ministers, uh, especially those who have served or or are, are serving in the pastoral ministry, who seem to be more concerned with their 401k or their 403c or CD or portfolio or whatever than how they can continue to serve God until he comes back to take them home. I'm not saying don't plan, don't invest for your future, absolutely, but if Abraham was 75 years old and God comes and says, Abe, it's time to let your faith flag fly. 
I almost called the sermon that this morning, Faith Flag Fly, but I didn't think I could say it twice. I'm impressed that I did. But what does this say to us today? A Christian's work is maybe never done. Maybe never done. Abraham's story uh, does hit home with me a little bit personally this morning, and I've talked a little bit about this before. I can certainly relate, you know, from my own journey. At times, kind of similar in my life. I, I didn't worship a moon god, but I was called by God to pick up and leave and leave my hometown and roots and, and all that I knew, move to a new area, and I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into, I'll be honest. That was me moving to Michigan five years ago. It's easy for me to maybe think of Abraham, the working man. I've worked a few days since I've been here. But it's really Abraham, the faithful. Abraham, the faithful, that Paul says we, we look back to. Paul reiterates, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. One commentator says this about Romans 4, verse 3. It's interesting, the order that the words appear in the Greek uh, of the New Testament actually puts this word belief first in the sentence. It literally reads, believed Abraham God. The biblical author was trying to draw attention to this word, so they put it at the beginning of the sentence. And Paul goes on uh, to explain this in Romans 4. Well, jump with me down to verses 20 through 24, if you've got your Bible open here. And this is important, too. Paul says, No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And this next part is very, very important for this working man. Verse 23 says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, verse 24, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, what was the result of Abraham's faith in God? What was the result? God had promised Abraham that a great nation would come from him. A great nation. And from this great nation would come who? The birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ. John 8.56, which is a really cool verse. Jot it down and look it up later. John 8.56 tells us that the gospel was actually preached to Abraham. But the picking up, the moving, the lifetime, the work, all that, all that labor, that stuff didn't justify Abraham as a sinner. And this is where maybe we can uh, get backwards thinking in the church, which is kind of like thinking backwards, but I said it backwards. Maybe where we can get thinking backwards in the church. Maybe where some of the Christian cults go awry. Where we can struggle. Where we think we're not doing enough for God or that we've done enough already because neither response is biblical. The devil likes us to believe that Christianity somehow equals ours on a time clock. Or at least it's easy for us to get into that thinking. But only faith in God's salvation brings home the proverbial bacon of salvation. That's odd, but I think it works. But why does it make any difference, we might ask? Why does it make any difference what I do? Why does it matter? 
Maybe, maybe we'd be tempted to wonder that. I mean, if God considered Abraham righteous, not by his work ethic, but by God's own righteousness, why not just sit back and relax? This can be a trap for us. I mean, if I can't do anything to earn heaven, why not just have a good time while I'm on earth? But yet, what do we see Father Abraham doing? We see him getting busy after God calls him. So there must have been a point. There must have been some reason in working the Christian grind for God, if you will. And what we see is through Abraham's service to God, we don't see justification, but we see that his work shaped his faith in God. What he did shaped his faith. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, and I've got this behind me now. But go ahead, uh, if you would, and, and look, at the, look at this text, verses 9 to 12. We talked about part of this earlier, the, uh, the topic of circumcision. But as you're reading over this text, I'd like to share the first of uh, two stories with you. We've been talking plenty this morning about work, and, and while I was working on uh, this message, it, it had me thinking back to my own first job. Uh, when I was... Uh, about 16 years old, I worked in a family-style restaurant. I made pizzas and I washed dishes. And there were other things I did, other foods and other tasks required within the position. But looking back, it seems like I, I made more uh, pizzas and washed more dishes than anything, you know? If ever have things that stick out to you about work you may have done. Well, as the years uh, rolled on, I, I found myself rotating to different positions all over the restaurant, all over the kitchen. By the time I'd left the restaurant, nine years later, I got to join a late-night grocery crew. Woo, that was a big deal. I was supervising. And I realize now, uh, many years and several choices of employment later, uh, some went well, some not, so, not, some not so good. We'll save those for another sermon. I realized there was something that stayed with me from all that time, from that period, uh, even as a guy back on the dishwasher. Even from that time as a cook, even though things would change. Uh, besides the fact that it's better to undercook a steak and have it return to you than overcook it and get to have the steak come out of your own back pocket, right? I gained experience. At least one would hope. I, I gained experience. I, I gained experience not just in, in food prep, but in customer service. I, I learned how to take care of people. I, lear I learned a little bit about that. And this was experience that I would continue to gain over the years and in positions that followed me uh, for, for uh, didn't matter the job I was at at the time. And maybe you've got a similar story from your working past of experience you gained. For me, uh, experience uh, included uh, meat and seafood sales. I was for a very short time involved as a computer repairman. Uh, that didn't last too long. Hospital supply clerk I did for a long time. And this was all before Bible school. But what was so good about all those hours? All that time I'd spent in all those jobs. Now that I'm in ministry, what was the point of it all? What's incredible to me is how following in the footsteps of service has helped make me the minister I need to be today. That's, that's what's incredible to me when I look back. Because God has used and God is still using all that experience. He's still using all of it. And he's using all of it to his glory. Now, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know. Now, it doesn't mean all my work has made me a minister. 
God has done that. By his grace, he's done that. But similarly, look with me at verse 12, where Paul says this about Abraham. And to make him, him is Abraham, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul is saying, walking in the footsteps of the faith will help make us the servants we need to be. Following after shapes us. We gain. We gain in the service of God to serve God. No matter where you are, no matter how long you've been in God's service, working for God's kingdom, folks, regardless of how many years or how much time you've spent, you have to keep at it. You have to keep going. You have to keep trusting. You have to keep believing, growing, gaining in following the Lord. Not, it doesn't mean that you're witnessing your Sunday school teaching or your music ministry or your service at the soundboard or your, you name it makes you a Christian. But this phrase, walk in the footsteps of faith in Romans 4.12 is crucial. Paul putting together what he's been saying in, in the course of Romans overall, that the Christian faith encompasses not just what Christ has done for us. It does involve that, but it also encompasses what Christ continues to do through us. Amen? What he continues to do through us. He's a big God. And when we look back, we might say, wow, what God has done through me. Wow. Sure, we work our day jobs, put food on the table, and that's biblical. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Uh, we, we have to keep a roof over our head. But if we want to really understand what being working men and women, spiritual workers, like the examples we have in Scripture, what this is all about, we have to be confident in what God did in the work of Abraham. Our service to God doesn't justify us, but it shapes us. It makes us who we need to be, just as it did Abraham. Our kingdom work shapes us as it did David in the text if we look on in Romans 4, verses 6 to 8. Not only mentioned the righteousness of David, but it quotes his very work. His very work as psalmist, Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2. You can see it there in your Bibles. Can we see how God can shape us through the experience we gain in his service? This is why we have to get busy working and stay busy you know unlike some positions god's never going to ask us to step down in this life from kingdom work good news you're never going to get a pink slip as a christian unless we give up the faith you can do that perhaps the most startling verse of romans chapter 4 comes from verse 19 and this speaks of abraham and he's here at the point that what? He learns about some offspring on their way. Paul says this, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Well, gee, thanks, Paul. But really, uh, he says since he was about 100 years older when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, this verse as I read it tells me a couple of things. Number one, it reminds us, reminds me that once again that old Christmas carol is right when it says from kids from 1 to 92. Just giving you peace of mind there. We're crashing quickly into the holidays again. 
But more importantly, Romans 4.19 should make us rethink any notion of retirement from Christian service. Look back with me. Genesis 15 again. Verses 2 to 6. This whole child thing dawns on Abraham. And, and I'll let you look here at the screen behind me on the text. Abraham starts arguing with him. Verses 2 and 3. Wait a minute, Lord, I'm, I'm without any children. Are you, you talking about somebody else maybe in the family unit is having this offspring? And of course, God says back to Abraham, no. God says your very own son will be your heir. In fact, Abram, verse 5, look toward heaven. Look up at the skies. Look at the stars and count them. Count them. That's what I mean by this whole child thing. So shall your offspring be. I'm paraphrasing. This isn't from the message or anything. I'm paraphrasing. Verse 6 of Genesis 15, this big verse comes at us again. Think about what God's asking Abraham to believe. Think about it. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now think of the ridiculousness of this notion. Paul says, verse 20, he doesn't have any reason to believe he's going to have kids. He's 100 years old. 100 years old. The wife is 90. But the Bible says in Romans 4.20, Romans 4.21, that Abraham grew strong in his faith. Grew strong in his faith. He believed God. In verse 23, the Bible says, The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. From age 75, when the calling came to age 100, do you think Abraham's faith was affected by his work and walk with the Lord? I'm sure it was. God didn't drop this bomb on Abraham at 75. He dropped it on him at 100. Think about the next 25 years in your life if you walked and worked the way Abraham did. What an infinitely great work God did through Abraham, the working man. But let's get personal, friends. What is God impressing upon your life? Is he asking for some great work upon you and you're going, no way, it's impossible. Because no matter your age or your ability or your previous kingdom experience, God's not done with you. He's not done with you. I promise. And, and I don't care if you're a God's kid from 1 to 92 or a full-grown adult of 93. Thank you, chestnuts. God gave the nation of Israel through Abraham at the age of 100 years old. That's what our God does. What is God asking you to do at the age of 50? What work, what service, what ministry could you be a part of or continue to serve for which God has given you a talent or just the desire or just the availability? Where can you step out in faith like Abraham to serve? Could you sit back in nursery for a Sunday a month with our little ones? Could you volunteer to pray with our prayer ministry? Could you see yourself getting involved with church security or singing on our praise team? Has God gifted you in an area that we haven't even collectively explored as his people at Ferris? You know, we have churches with softball leagues and cardio drumming circles and even handyman ministries. Don't waver concerning the promises of God, but grow stronger in your faith. Give glory to God like Abraham. There's nothing like seeing your faith counted to you as righteousness, not because what you do justifies you in Jesus, but because Jesus has justified you for good works. Amen? 
Is your faith growing or is it dying? Would you consider yourself a working man, a working woman for Christ? Or have you limited yourself? Have you limited God at all concerning his promises for your life? Can, can you name this person? Yes, million, million points, whoever said that. Late actor, instructor, and, and martial artist Bruce Lee quoted as saying, there are no limits, there are only plateaus. And you must not stay there, you must go beyond them. I thought that was fitting. We followed the faith far beyond Christian baptism. We've maybe gotten into this Sunday grind, and, and we know what's expected of us as Christians. And maybe we even attend a Bible study every now and again, but, but just think. Just think how strong your faith, counted as righteousness, could be if you not only walked in Abraham's footsteps on the surface of faithfulness, but if you followed him clear up that mountain at Moriah, Genesis chapter 22. And turn there quickly with me in your pew Bibles, if you would. Genesis 22. I don't have this on the screen, so uh, if, if you could grab that. Skim over Genesis chapter 22. Should be a review for most of us, but... You remember what happens here? Where God asks Abraham to do what? With his son? His only son? Do you think Abraham would have been ready, would have been shaped for the work of sacrificing his son, his only son that he was willing to do? in the same geographical area that would one day become Jerusalem, if Abraham's God-glorifying deeds over those previous decades hadn't helped shape him to be like his creator, the one who loves the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16. Do you want to be more like your maker as he himself wills for you? I challenge you this week to consider what you might do. What might you do to follow in the footsteps of the faith? God's work saving you might be complete in your obedience to him, but only God himself knows how he's going to continue to use you to minister to others if you'll permit it, of course, if you'll let him. If you'll get out of the way and say, Lord, I'm here, use me. It's a job for which there's no time clock. I promised you a second story earlier, and, and here it is. But to be honest, though, what, what I'd like to present to you now isn't so much a story as it is kind of a narrative of tips for one particular trade of sorts. And as we're wrapping up our story of uh, Romans chapter 4 this morning, I'd like to ask you the following question. If you call yourself a sportsman, hasn't your experience dedicated to that sport contributed to the title? What I mean is this. Can, can you still call yourself a sportsman despite never having spent a single day out in the woods? There's my preacher, Josh. He's a sportsman. He goes and catches those bucks. <laughs> if I had to guess, those people you'd most admire, maybe want to emulate on opening day like we've had this week, 
Or maybe folks like Bryce Towsley, who writes for OutdoorLife.com. Is anyone familiar with the name uh, Bryce Towsley? Well, he shares the following words about uh, his time on the hunt. And he says this. I want to share these with you this morning. Quote, I go opening morning on public land just as I would on private land. That is, I ignore the other hunters and pretend they don't exist or annoy me. Or I use their predictability to my advantage, at least for the first day. He continues, I no longer hike for hours in the dark to get past the huddled masses on opening day. Later in the season, sure, then it's good strategy, but not on opening day. Now, so far, it sounds like this author's gleaned experience has made him who he is, doesn't it? He goes on, for that opening day, I find a place away from the other hunters, but still in the area. I pick a nasty spot that everyone else avoids, either because of terrain or vegetation. Most hunters stay put on stand until at least 9 a.m. But once they start moving, my prospects get even better because they will use predictable paths or hunter highways. The deer pattern the hunters and avoid these places. So the author, obviously having spent a couple opening days on the grind, he's no Josh, adds this. A smart buck who has survived a few hunting seasons knows that when he moves, he is in danger. He understands that with all these hunters in the woods, if he runs off in a blind panic or tries to cover a lot of ground, he will get shot. He knows that sitting still and hunkering down is the key to surviving the day. He can move into a remote area after dark. But sometime in the morning of opening day, he will pull back to a comfortable place. Now we know this experienced sportsman appearing who he claims to be concludes. The deer is pulling back to a place he uses a lot and likes. A place where he feels secure and safe. A trashy place. A place where I am waiting. That's the end of the article. I just read all these words from Mr. Towsley, the sportsman, out loud to you. And, and, and if you didn't know me, if you just heard those words without quotes from my mouth, mouth, you might believe that I was a dedicated sportsman myself. You know better, we're pretending here. You might say that I was a dedicated sportsman myself, having heard me say those words. But until you saw me out in the field, would you know for sure? Until you see anyone walk the walk of experience with who they claim to be, do you ever really know for sure? No matter who you are, no matter what you do in this world, sportsman, farmer, company owner, grandfather, mechanic, tinkerer, etc., you name it. If you want to be the best at it, don't you first have to gain a little experience? How does one call themselves a Christian? Imagine the kind that God intends you to be. Do you think you may have to spend some time out in the field, God's mission field, to get there? My challenge for you is this. Believe against hope, as Scripture says, in he who saves you. Get to work following the Savior. Don't look back. Stay on the trail behind him. Folks, this all ends with the cross. But it all began with a dedicated man named Abraham, a true example of a working father from the Father. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, I, I praise your name this morning for your word. God, I thank you for those that we can read about that point us to you. God, it's so hard for us to, to look back at uh, some of these examples we have, maybe, and, and fully understand or fully relate to them. But ultimately, we know that we have a choice, every single one of us. No matter who we are, no matter where in our walk we're coming from, we have a choice every day. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you with who we are, with the gifts you've given us, with the place you've led us. Or we're just going to go our own way and do our own thing. Lord, my prayer is that as, as your people, as Christians, we would follow the example of Paul as he's followed you. We would follow the example of Abraham. We would follow the example of David. All of your people, Lord, in your word. There are stories. There are examples. And there's so much we can learn. Lord, I pray that your word would inspire. Your word would convict us to get busy. Pray that we would truly be workers for you but workers that are motivated with the right reason. If we know you, Lord, if we know if we've gone down, uh, followed you in, in, in baptism, gone into your death and resurrection, Lord, we know we're justified. We also know, Lord, that you've called us to obedience every day. Help us to not give up. Help us to not say, well, well, Lord, we've done all we can do. But to remember, there is no limit to what you do through us. God, help us to not give up hope. Help us to grow in our faith every day. Lord, we, 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 we desperately await the day that, that you come to take us, to be with you forever. We know that day is coming. Lord, we thank you that we're promised a day in which the hurt will be gone, the hang-ups will be gone, the strife will be gone. The problems that we have will finally be done. But until that day happens, there's work for us to be done. There's souls you've died for that you want along with us. Help us to be kingdom workers in all that we say and do. No matter the shape we're in. It is in the name of Jesus to say these things. And I pray these to you. Amen. My guess is there's times in our life that we maybe look back and think, what more could I have said or what more could I have done? Our God is an amazing God of grace. And I don't believe he holds those against us this week? Where can you serve? Where can you get involved? Who can you help? Where is there a need? Perhaps 
you can fill just because you're there at any age, in any capacity. At this time, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you haven't put on Christ, as he's called us all to do, if you haven't begun that journey, we invite you to come forward. This is a limited offer, limited offer. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. So, so I, I very much advise you to not wait or put this off any longer. Uh, please come forward. Go down into the waters of Christian baptism. Come up a new creation to serve him until he returns for you. Uh, let's stand and sing our invitation song in which we call out to our great God of mercy, grace. Oh God, forgive us.